the kingdom of man and the kingdom of God. One young exile with uncompromising faith. This is God's grand plan to achieve the unimaginable. Well, we continue in our series on Daniel, and of course, the question that kind of before us is, how do you stand strong in the midst of fierce opposition? How is it that we are to persevere when life is crushing us? Or as we'll see today, how do we continue walking with Christ? when we're in the furnace of affliction? Well, we've tried to answer this question the last couple of weeks. The first week we said we need this idea firmly embedded, not merely in our head, but in our heart, that God is faithful. He is always faithful to all that he has promised. And that's a, that's a good starting foundation. And then last week, if I could simplify, it's that people that know God can stand strong. People that know God, not about God, not merely people going through the motions, but people that really know God, letting him reveal himself as he reveals himself in the Bible, those people can stand strong. Well, this morning we're going to look at another piece of the answer as we look at Daniel chapter 3. If you have your Bible, would you open with me to Daniel chapter 3. Daniel chapter 3. As we turn there, if you have a device, whatever, you know that it's so important that you see the Word of God. Because sometimes you go back and you want to read it again, and it looks familiar. Use all of your senses to grab hold of what God wants to say. And so a question, just as we think about it, you've got to answer two questions in your own heart. What do you really believe about what we're reading? Do you really believe that this is a word from God, that God is speaking, right? That, that's a starting point for us, so we, we got to understand. And then the second question that piggybacks on that, do you believe that God has something he wants to say to you this morning? You specifically, that he is speaking and he wants to say something to you. So if you're able to stand, could I invite you to stand? Chapter 3, verse 1, King Nebuchadnezzar made an image of gold. 60 cubits high, 6 cubits wide, and set it up on the plain of Dura in the province of Babylon. He then summoned the satraps, the prefects, the governors, the advisors, the treasurers, the judges, the magistrates, and all the other provincial officials to come to the dedication of the image he had set up. So the satraps, prefects, governors, advisors, treasurers, judges, magistrates, and all the other provincial officials assembled for the dedication of the image that King Nebuchadnezzar had set up, and they stood before it. Then the herald loudly proclaimed, nations and peoples of every language, this is what you are commanded to do. As soon as you hear the sound of the horn, the flute, the zither, the lyre, the harp, the pipe, and all kinds of music, you must fall down and worship the image of gold that King Nebuchadnezzar has set up. 
Whoever does not fall down and worship will immediately be thrown into a blazing furnace. Therefore, as soon as they heard the sound of the horn, the flute, the zither, the lyre, the harp, and all kinds of music, all the nations and peoples of every language fell down and worshipped the image of gold that King Nebuchadnezzar had set up. At the same time, some astrologers came forward and denounced the Jews. Let's pray together. Father, as we look at this word this morning, we know that this is way different. This is a word from you. You are speaking, and what you said in the 6th century B.C., you bring alive into our hearts by the power of your Spirit this morning. Give us those ears to hear, God. Let our minds dwell and meditate on these things, and give us the imagination. Kindle it as you bring us into this story as it impacts our lives. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. You may grab a seat. As we look at this, we know that a lot is happening in the story as we look at Daniel. And so what I want to do is just kind of do a quick recap, right? King Nebuchadnezzar had a decree, and the decree was really simple. When you hear the sound of the music, bow down and worship the image of gold, right? Bow down, worship the image of gold. Whoever does not bow down and worship will be thrown into a blazing furnace. So that's the decree. King Nebuchadnezzar lays it out. He puts it in front of us. And when you think of this image, right, we don't know exactly what the image was. What we do know is that it was about 90 feet tall and about 9 feet wide. We know differently than the dream that he had in chapter 2 where the head was only gold and then it began to change. In this, the entire uh, statue is solid gold. You can imagine the weight and the money, all of it. We don't know whether it was a statue of Nebuchadnezzar or his God never really makes it clear, but it doesn't really matter because what he wanted was that everybody, all his conquered people, remember, his empire was great. That was the dream last week. His was the most powerful. Every other empire following would be a little less than Nebuchadnezzar's. And here he is, right, with all these conquered people gathered around him. That's why it's talking about nations and peoples of every language is, is he would haul them back and bring them in, the leaders. And so what I want you to see also, I don't want you to miss this, is that this statue was set up in the same area, the same region as we read in Genesis chapter 11, the Tower of Babel. And you remember what the Tower of Babel was all about. It was about people wanting to, what, climb up to heaven, right, gain control, and they wanted to make a name for themselves. Well, the same kind of thing is happening here. There is some control that is going on. And also, what was happening in Genesis 11 with the Tower of Babel was that they were also wanting to stay unified. They were trying to bring together, and what we're going to see, what happened in Genesis 11 is very similar to what's happening in Daniel 3. There's issues of control and conformity. Well, that's the decree. Let's look at the accusation, right? If the decree is bow or burn, the accusation is that some Jews, whom you, King Nebuchadnezzar, set over the affairs of Babylon, pay no attention 
to you, nor serve your gods, nor worship the image of gold. And there's two things that we should see out of this. That is, first, they lack gratefulness and they lack reverence. I highlighted, set over the affairs, right? King Nebuchadnezzar, you set Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego over the affairs of Babylonia, and guess what? These men are ungrateful. Because if they were grateful, they would be listening to you. They would be following you. And then secondly, they lack reverence. King Nebuchadnezzar, you are worthy, worthy to be bowed down to, and your idol or your statue that you have created is worthy for them to bow down. So there is the accusation. So imagine the entire world, right? I mean, certainly hyperbole here, but certainly these conquered peoples, these conquered nations that Nebuchadnezzar had fulfilled, right? He's gathering them together and he wants them to bow down. But what I want you to see in contrast to the world bowing down, three men, three young men, three men that were likely in their late, middle to late teen years, refused to bow down. They stood against enormous pressure. Well, let's look at the response. King Nebuchadnezzar, if we're thrown into this blazing furnace, the God we serve is able to deliver us from it. And he will deliver us from your majesty's hand. But even if he does not, we want you to know, your majesty, that we, are not, that we will not serve your gods or worship the image of gold you have set up. Now that's their response. Let's make sure we, we grab hold of it. And you could meditate for long hours on this response and go deeper and deeper. You can see I circled two things. The first one is ability. These young men had no doubt in their mind that the God they knew, what we talked about last week, they knew their God, they worshiped their God, they followed their God, they honored their God, they obeyed their God. They knew that God, the God of the Bible, was able to deliver them. They knew that. They didn't second guess it. So now, in order for you to be brought into the story, in order to you, for you to grab hold of the gravity of what's being said, put yourself in the story. What is your fiery furnace that looms out there? What is it that threatens you, that overwhelms you? Now, if you're struggling, struggling to figure that out, all you have to do is ask yourself, what are you thinking about when you wake up in the morning? Or, or what do you find yourself dwelling on in the middle of the night? Or what is it that's causing you to be anxious? That begins to help you circle in on what it is that you see as a fiery furnace. What is it that robs you of joy? What is it that steals some hope from you? Because when you begin to identify those things, you then have to ask yourself, is God, the God that I love, the God that I serve, the God that is 
the reason I'm here this morning, right, is I want to know this God. Is he able to deal with my fiery furnace? It could be a person. It could be a relationship. It could be a situation. It could be a thing, right? It doesn't matter. We all have a fiery furnace, all of us without exception. Yes, some of them are not blazing as hot as others right now, praise God, but others, it is blazing. And you're like, whoa, am I going to be able to handle it? But the other thing that I circled was the issue of willingness. So there's the question of, is God able But then there's the question, is God willing to deal with it? And there we get into some challenges. But let me remind you that Jesus was in that same situation. Remember in the Garden of Gethsemane? Remember his prayer? Father, remove this cup from me. Father, this this cup, the, the cross looms in front of me. This fiery furnace is out there. And then what did Jesus say? Not my will, but your will. Father, whatever you're willing to do, that's what I'm willing to follow. I want what your will is. So this issue of willingness is huge. Now, to bring you into a story, I remember I had just become a believer. I was young in my faith, maybe a year in, and I was down at the University of Illinois, and I was at this church, and this church had a wonderful pastor. His name was Jim Conway. He had written some books. He was a great pastor for a college campus, but his daughter, I, I don't remember exactly her age, 16 or 17, she got cancer, and so he started to pray. And ask the church to pray. Remove this cancer. Heal this cancer. Because if God did not, her leg needed to be amputated. So he prayed. The church prayed. And then he latched on to an idea. And here was his idea. God, it would bring greater glory to you if you heal her leg. You ever pray a prayer like that? You ever decide for God what's going to bring him the most glory? Come on, I can't be alone in this. (laughs) Don't leave me hanging, right? God, I know what's best. I mean, there's lots of ways to say this. God, I know if I'm spiritual. God, I know what will bring you glory. God, I know what will work in my life. God, I know what has to happen. Well, you can see where this story's going, don't you? God was not willing to remove the cancer. Was he able? Totally. No doubt. And my pastor, my first year, second year of being in that church, when he got the news, he ran to the basement and wept. And he found himself saying, God, how can I trust you? You've been there? We've all been there. So Becky, his daughter, lost her leg. Every time I saw her, 
She had the biggest smile on her face. She was ready to walk where a lot of people couldn't walk. And that is into the will of God. And that's where this story is starting to take us, isn't it? It's way deeper now than POWs, exiles, strangers in a foreign land. We're talking about where the rubber meets the road. Does God make a difference in our lives? Well, let's look at the unimaginable. King Nebuchadnezzar, verse 24, leaped to his feet, right? These men would not bow. They get thrown into the fiery furnace. God was unwilling to move in the way that many thought he should. Then the king Nebuchadnezzar leaped to his feet in amazement and asked his advisors, weren't there three men that we tied up and threw into the fire? They replied, certainly, your majesty. He said, look, I see four men walking around in the fire, unbound, unharmed, and the fourth looks like a son of the gods. Now we know from various passages in the Old Testament, I won't walk through all of them, but now and then, the pre-incarnate Christ. Now pre-incarnate, a big word, right? Simply means before Jesus took on human flesh, he shows up on the pages of Scripture. I think that's him as the fourth. Now, there is certainly some debate. Some people will say, and even some in the story would say, this is an angel. It doesn't matter whether it was a pre-incarnate Christ at one level or an angel. The point is God sent an emissary. He sent someone to be with them. I lean towards the pre-incarnate Christ because he shows up in other places in Scripture where there's no doubt, there's no question So there's no reason to doubt that this is him in the furnace. And so now you need to see, when you're in the furnace, God didn't remove it, did he? He didn't shut it down. You're in a fierce opposition. Whatever it is, whatever it's keeping you up at night, whatever it is that's dragging you down, God is reminding you and me this morning Just because I did not remove it doesn't mean I flinched. It doesn't mean I walked away. What he wants you and me to know, whatever you're going through, he is in the furnace with you. He is in the furnace with you. I want to pull this into a bigger context now because it's not just about three young men. We're not sure where Daniel is in the story because he never enters this part. Maybe he's off doing the king's business somewhere else. But you and I need to see that God was doing way more than just three young men before a king and a fiery furnace. And here's how I want to say it. The world bows to images and seeks control over others. But for those who resist, there is an unimaginable kingdom. And I love this picture 
Because you and I have furnaces, and some of us are in the furnace, some of us see it out there, and that's what that swirling darkness is. And don't make a mistake here. All of us, myself included, there's darkness swirling around us. We live in a fallen, broken world that seeks to move against everything about God. That's what darkness is. It's everything in opposition to God. You want something good for your marriage? Satan wants to destroy your marriage. You want something good for your family? Satan wants to destroy your family. You want something good for work? Satan wants to destroy. He's a destroyer. That's his name. He is trying to destroy everything good. But there is a light in front of us that moves us towards an unimaginable kingdom. Now, why do I say it that way? Because you and I need to kindle our imagination. We need to fuel it. We need to throw gasoline on this fire to imagine how awesome this kingdom is that God has for us down the road. I don't know when it's going to break in, but one day it's going to break in in its fullness. And for those that know God, they will spend eternity in that kingdom with Jesus Christ. For those that don't, there is a hell to be shunned. Very unpopularly said in this world today, a kingdom to embrace and a hell to be shunned. So the world seeks to control others. Well, let's go very quickly into a little deeper part of the passage. So how does this fit together? There's two things I want to bring out this morning. Just two. The first one is this. The battle rages for the control of our hearts. Remember, spiritual truths are coming out of this passage, and here's the first one. Battle rages for the control of our hearts. That's what it's all about. The enemy, the devil, wants control of your heart. The world wants control of your heart. And your flesh is not exactly excited about all things spiritual either, right? So what happens, right? These men that Nebuchadnezzar wants to control, they refuse to bow down. Remember Daniel in chapter 1? He refused to defile himself with the king's food. Why? Because the king was trying to reward him. Remember, we were talking about this. The world tries to entice us to keep us going its way that stands opposed so often to God and the things of God. And when they wouldn't bow down, Nebuchadnezzar flies into a rage. Can I tell you what happens every time you say yes to Jesus and no to the things of the flesh, no to the things of the world, and no to the devil? Revelation 12, verse 9 says, the enemy, the devil, flies into a fury. He's raging against you. This is a powerful being that rages against you. Everything about you, if you name the name of Christ, he rages against you. Now the furnace, right? This is the, the, the stuff that, that stands out there that, that, that we're wanting to avoid. And it would be easy to fall down. But it's about control. It's about control. 
if you're fighting for something in your life, right? An illness, a job, a marriage, a family situation, right? It doesn't matter what it is. It, 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 it's a spiritual battle and it's about control for your heart. Are you going to follow God or are you going to follow the ways of the world? And it targets our heart, right? It, it, it's zeroing in on our hearts and our affections. Now, perhaps an illustration to help you is a phrase that I heard. Those who hear not the music think the dancer is mad. Let me just say it again. Those who hear not the music think the dancer is mad. Now, if you want to test this, put on a YouTube video of people dancing to some music and shut off the volume. They'll look like a bunch of dancing bunnies, won't they? It won't make sense. Well, let me tell you, are you hearing the music of Jesus? He's playing a melody and the world doesn't hear it. The world does not hear it and you look like a dancing bunny. But don't be distracted by the world. Jesus is our music. Who's going to control you? The music of the world or Jesus' music? What are you going to dance to? Are you going to dance to Jesus' music or are you going to dance to the music of the world? It's targeting your hearts. Women, let me just say a few things. The Bible has a tune of womanhood. It's a very different melody than what the world plays. The Bible from Genesis all the way to Revelation has music for what a true woman looks like. Brings out the best in being a woman. It's so different from the world's composition what I'm talking about is it impacts clothes. It impacts language and how you talk. It impacts the way you think. It impacts your attitude. All of these things. And everything I just said about women, it's true of men. And if we're not careful, we start dancing to the music of the world instead of letting womanhood explode in all of its beauty and majesty that God created. Masculinity and manhood could explode into a magnificence of chivalry that is contrary to what the world says. Daniel, we're not quite in chapter 11 yet, but verse 32, those who know their God, it says, will be strong and do great exploits. They will be dancing to the right music, those who know their God. Well, let me hit a second point real quickly. The battle rages for conformity of our lives. So the battle rages for control, but it rages for conformity. So while they're trying to get us to control by the world, and remember John chapter 8, verses 31, 32, right? If Jesus sets you free, you are not controlled. You are free indeed. Conformity, King Nebuchadnezzar wanted conformity, right? We can see this in the world today. Christmas is in full swing. You walk in any store, there's all kinds of Christmas toys and Christmas trees and all these things out already. And every year, there's a few toys that everybody wants, right? They're, they're the hot toys. Those are the things that are a picture of what the world is about. What is your hot toy? 
Is it a look? Is it a jacket? Right? And then you've got to go beyond the physical things and start asking yourselves, what is it the world offers that we want that's not really what God has for us? These are the things we need to be careful of. Because what the world is trying to do and what the enemy wants is to conform you into its mold. And what God wants to do is conform you and me into the image of Christ. So those three young men, they refused to be controlled by Nebuchadnezzar. Who was more free? These young men that would not be controlled and would not be conformed to what Nebuchadnezzar wanted. Now, I don't have time. We'll get into it in future weeks. But notice that these men are never disrespectful. They're never rude. They are never dishonoring. And yet, they stand firm against these things. So how do you stand strong in the midst of first fierce pop opposition? How do you persevere when life is crushing you? How do you make it when you're in the furnace? You need to know that God is with you in it. And let me just say it this way. The battle for control and conformity can only be won when you surrender your obedience to Jesus Christ. That's how we win, by a surrendered obedience to Jesus Christ. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for the truth of your word, the power of your word. We thank you that you are in control, that you tell us these stories, these stories sometimes that children know, but we don't dig deeper to see that there's spiritual realities, that there's people and the world and the enemy that seeks to control us and conform us to its image. God, but you set us free. And the way we find that freedom is when we surrender ourselves to the furnace and say, God, not my will, but your will. If you want me in the furnace, I know you'll be there with me. If you want me through the furnace, I know you'll be with me. God, have us that way as we look because we know that there's always, always, always another in that furnace. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.